Welcome to the Improv in Practice podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Wilson, bringing you interviews, inspiration, and information on improvised theater with Synergy Theater. You can find Synergy Theater's classes, workshops, performances, and more at synergytheater.com. That's S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y theater.com. Okay, lights down, curtain up. Hello, improvisers. This is episode six, and it is August 10th, 2021, as I record this. Imagine for a moment that you and I are in a movie theater waiting for our show to begin. We've got great seats. We've got our snacks. The lights are low. We can't wait for the show to begin because it is directed by one of our favorite Synergy Theater directors, Griffin Davis Beer that's B-I-E-R, and stars Alev Ganey, a wonderful Synergy Theatre player. Finally, the lights go down and the music starts. The show is called Adventure Serial, inspired by serialized adventure films of the 1930s, where the effects were all homemade and the actors did all of their own stunts. We don't know much more because it's all improvised. But we know we're in for a treat, and that we will be transported. We recorded this interview May 25th, 2021. Shh! Okay, okay. On with the show. Griffin, thank you so much for being here today. There's so much I want to talk to you about. Where shall I begin? I don't know, but thank you for having me, Sarah. (laughs) How did you find improv? Well, I went to college in Southern California, and I was about an hour and a half away from Los Angeles, and I had these notions that, oh, you know, I enjoy acting. I'm sure in Los Angeles I could find something to do. (laughs) So I started by trying at my university to audition for a play as a background character, and the play was You're in Town. It's actually a musical. And I'm an okay singer, but I'm not such a great dancer. And I auditioned and I totally failed on all the dancing portions and I did not get cast. And I was a little deflated and I was still looking for an outlet to act. And I saw there was an improv club on my campus. So I went there and I really enjoyed it. Everyone was super welcoming and I made a bunch of new friends and I joined it and I never looked back. So what was it about improv that kept you coming back? Well, for one thing, it was easy to not have to memorize lines. (laughs) That was helpful. And I was doing creative writing. So improv really inspired me because it felt like a mix between writing and acting. I loved combining those two elements into one thing. So improv not only gave you an outlet for acting, but it helped your writing. How did it help your writing? Did you notice a a before and after? One thing I would do to help is if I was having trouble writing something, I would just make an improv scene about it. I wouldn't tell my scene partner, but I'd suddenly like just be a character from whatever uh, short story or novel I was writing. And I would play that out to see what happened. And if There was a great scene that unfolded. I would use that information in my writing. Do you have a favorite type of writing? So novel or screenplay or? Hmm. 
Well, back then, I initially wanted to be a novelist and write science fiction or fantasy. Some parts of me wanted to do comedy, but I've switched over to doing more screenwriting and I've really enjoyed doing comedy, uh, a big part of improv. And so I'm working towards writing for television comedies. Well, what inspired you to create Adventure Serial? I was really inspired out of, we had been doing Synergy Theater Live and I'd been part of it for a year and a half. And suddenly we moved to doing it on the internet and we completely changed formats because before we would do like four to eight shows in a short period of time every four months or so. And now we were doing shows every week and that really facilitated a change in our audience because before there's a lot of strangers and now I notice a lot of the same people coming to all the shows, friends and family members. And I thought rather than these be kind of singular plays like we were doing before, where each one was its own unrelated thing, it would be nice to make it more like a television show where it would be serialized and each week people could come back and there would be a cliffhanger so they'd wanna see what happens next and just the word kind of serialized made me think of from the 1930s, kind of a precursor to television, were these serialized movies that they would play in theaters. And there would be uh, kind of like a season or like 16 episodes, but you would go back every week to see what happened to Flash Gordon or Batman or Zorro. And I wanted to do something like that. So that's really what inspired me to do adventure serial in the style of one of those 1930s serialized shows. Your appreciation of that type of entertainment shines through in Adventure Serial. Alev, her character, Joan Holiday, reminded me of Helen Gibson, who was a silent movie star, did all her own stunts, and she was in a, a serial that ran for like 119 episodes, and she was fantastic all black and white, of course. Again, this is silent film. And Helen Gibson, would, would she would ride a motorcycle and jump onto a train. It's a wonderful part of entertainment history. And you inspired me and Adventure Serial inspired me to look that up. And I, and I thank you for that. Well, I also, I really appreciate stunt actors. Recently, I've been really into looking more into these working professionals and the history of that and what they used to have to do in all these fake fights and stunts. And back then it was way more dangerous than it is now. And that was an element I wanted to incorporate into Adventure Serial, but it was difficult because it was a show happening through a screen with all the actors sitting down. But I really wish that was an element I could have had in there more to get that feeling of those old timey stunts. It was very entertaining and there was a lot of movement in it. And even though, like you say, the actors were sitting, there's a lot of energy and movement throughout. And, and a lot of that had to do with your ability to manipulate this, the screen, cut scenes, intersperse that with landscape and background changes. And so I would love it if you would talk about how you wrapped your head around it and just made Zoom so much more than it than it was at the time. We were very much used to 
just the box and then a fun background, but you just took it and changed it. And it was, it was wonderful. Were there a lot of late nights that had that happen? <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of ambition for this project. And that was something that I wanted to bring to it was to really push the zoom format to the extent that I could, I think in exchange from doing it live in person, or maybe we could have done the stunts is now we have access to all these virtual backgrounds, which can do the set dressing. And I really wanted to incorporate those into a show in a manner that felt like these are people who are actually traveling the world. And we had like 50 backgrounds, which was maybe five times as many as any other show. And I came up with a system where I thought, I would give the audience each show an opportunity to decide where the characters went, like the, uh, what was it? The jungle or desert or tundra. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. each show I'd give them two options of places to go. And I would tell the performers in advance, like you only need to prep the backgrounds for these two places. And then the audience picks. So that way you don't need 50 backgrounds. You can just have these eight. Another element that I really wanted to use was the black and white. And actually, when I was first planning the show last summer, we did not have access to that through Zoom. Now, Zoom, if you have the latest updates, it has a black and white filter that you just click and it works with your virtual backgrounds. But at the time, that was not a thing yet. And I really wanted to incorporate that. But to do that, I needed to use third party software to control my camera and like desaturate it. Oh my and I had gosh. To get everyone else on board to do that. But then I realized once you did that and it fed into Zoom, it could no longer do the virtual backgrounds because it no longer read like your green screen or your background. So I kind of hit a dead end there. And I tried another thing, which was to use the software that is behind Snapchat, the app. It was very complicated. That is I, complicated, but it now I have even more of an appreciation of how smoothly everything went and how everything looked so good, the actors and the backgrounds. Well, the problem, I was getting people to download it, but their computers could not handle all these things we were running at the same time because we need to have Zoom open and third-party software and YouTube and all these things. And then lo and behold, one week Zoom just drops an update where they have a black and white filter. And that solves all my problems I've been trying to fix for a month. I, I guess better later than never for Zoom uh, to do that. Yeah. Well, it happened right uh, in the middle of rehearsals. So I'm okay. thankful for that. And uh, how did, how were rehearsals going? Tell me about the reception of your idea to the cast and to Ken and and tell me about that process. I was super excited to cast this and also a little nervous because up until this point, all of the online Synergy shows were kind of open to anyone in the Synergy Theater Company. Um, like Ken would say, we're doing this show, who wants to join? And I really had a vision for a show that I felt would work best if we only had six people, which would be me, kind of as the host character, Nick Finch, Hi everyone, archaeologist Nick Finch here. And five other people. And I had eight people who wanted to be part of it. And it broke my heart because I realized, oh no, I'm gonna have to turn down three people. We have finally come 
to the last leg of the adventure to save the world that my great-grandmother, Joan Holliday, went on 80 years ago. I have some interesting news to share with you. I was contacted by the Smithsonian, and they're interested in setting up an exhibit all about my great-grandmother's exploits. The only thing is, they asked if I wanted to donate her journal to the exhibit. It's what I've been reading this entire adventure to you from, the last bit of my great-grandmother that I have left. And I think that's a, a thing that's in a lot of, like, plays, productions, anything, where you have people who audition and you have to turn them away. And I realized I would have to do this to three people who are like some of my closest friends and it had nothing personal, nothing to do with their improbabilities. It was just, I needed to get this cast to six people. So that actually gave me a lot of anxiety and I didn't want to do that anymore for shows afterward. I just don't know if I can give it up. Alev, how did you find improv? I, uh, it was in 2016. I spent about five months in Chicago. I was kind of brainstorming with a friend, creative outlets, and they suggested improv. So I took a couple classes and Chicago's kind of like the Mecca of improv. And I really enjoyed it. And then when I moved to the Bay Area, I took a little bit of time, settled in, and then I took classes through Berkeley Improv where I met Arastu. And it was at that point that he said I should audition for Synergy. And I, I actually then had to step back. There were some health things. And so while I was accepted, it, it took probably about a year for me to really come back. But during that time, I took classes with Ken. I would love it if you would take us back to that moment where it clicked for you, whether it be like a first class or a first scene or an experience. Tell me more. I think what the classes I took in Chicago was more traditional improv, like short games. And I had a lot of fun and I found I was actually really good at it. Like I, I, which surprised me because I'm not naturally comedic. I don't, when I'm on stage and performing, I, I bring things, I bring other assets. Comedy is not number one. And so with the short, with the short game stuff, for some reason, it just, it was great. And I was embodying these ridiculous, absurd characters. And that was really fun. And then when I made my way to Ken's style, which is improvising plays, it's so different from the short games. And it's more grounded in reality, even though there's absurdity in our shows as well. It's, it's like, you're not leading with that. You're leading with a story. You're trying to create a story. And I, I love when I get to really embody a character, when I feel that person's inner landscape and that clicked with me in terms of the synergy style. What is a, one of your top skills that you use to do such a great job? Because I know it's not easy, but you make it look easy. So honestly, this is something actually Ken asked me during my first class. He was like, you're really good. What is that? And I'm, I'm actually, I'm a meditator. It's a really big part of my life for the last 11 years. I spent a lot of hours doing it. That brings me to the present. So there's something about being really present. And then also through my kind of training, if you will, with meditation, there's also been this leaning into vulnerability and transparency, 
one of the things that I think Ken noticed early on is that I, when I'm in a scene with someone, I'd be really present with them and I'd be feeling the feeling and then going back and forth with them a little bit. I don't know if I've kept that, but I felt when he asked me that similar question, Sarah, I felt that was my answer. So in terms of skill, it's more like a training in terms of really being present and working so much on my own kind of peeling walls back so that I could be vulnerable and present with myself and then with the other person. So be present in every scene. I mean, here's the thing, like there's a, there's a trap. There's a trap that I, I fall into, and I think it's pretty common, which is when you're improvising, your mind is racing like a mile a minute. And like, let's say I'm having a scene with Griffin. He's saying something and he makes an offer and I get this hit. I'm like, oh, I know how to build on that, right? And so I'm waiting for him to finish his thing. But like from the moment where I got the hit to when he's finished, I'm a little distracted because now I'm thinking about that thing. And so I haven't fully been present and fully listening to everything he said. And so maybe the thing that I have a hit on is not as relevant, or maybe it's, there's just something I've missed because I'm not being really present and fully listening. Like that is a very common trap. I really like how you put that into words. You're absolutely right. Griffin, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Be present, be constantly listening reacting to what the other person is saying. And as soon as you start to get these ideas in your head of where are we going to take this 10 minutes from now, then you're no longer in the moment. It is a balancing act of definitely figuring out how to be present and tell a story that needs to go for an hour and a half, 45 minutes at the same time. I'd like to hear more, Griffin and Alev, about your talks on Joan Holiday and who she was, because I, I sense that you both had a vision of who this character was, but yet this is improv. So please talk about how Joan Holiday was developed between the two of you. So the first rehearsal, I had the idea that there would be three precast characters and myself as Nick Finch, but I would want a hero, a sidekick and a villain. And then two people who were kind of utility players. They could play whoever they want in every show. And I did a bunch of pairings. I just paired people up and had them run. I'd be like, okay, you're the hero and you're the sidekick. And in the end, I really found that the pairing I loved the most was Alev as the hero and Valerie as the sidekick. And what really did it for me was there was a scene where they were with a villain and they were communicating by talking in French. And I didn't realize at the time they both could speak French. And I was like, oh my gosh, they clicked so well. And so I was like, all right, Alev, you are the hero. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. I think after that specific rehearsal, the next one, by then we knew who, what the casting was. And we were just playing out different ways of looking at what are traditional tropes around adventure movies. What's the hero usually like? And we wanted something where the the lead and the sidekick would be kind of a bit opposites because that might make it a bit more interesting. And I had at that point kind of revisited Indiana Jones and the Zora movies. And at first I played a female version of those characters. They're a little bit 
you know, they're reluctant heroes. They're a little bit jaded. They're rough. And I was trying to play the female version of that. And something about that didn't feel right. It didn't quite click. And there was also something where Valerie came in with this fully fledged, awesome character where she was going to be bookish and charming and endearing and funny and a little bit naive. Can I be honest with you? Of course, always. But just the way she played her and with the accent, I was like, what am I going to do to make the opposite of this? When I first started working for you as a grad student, I really didn't think of myself as a very outdoorsy person. It's just a relief that my makeup and hair stay so good on all of our adventures. Daisy, you made me laugh when you walked into my office. You were carrying a typewriter with you. Well, yeah. I saw you and I thought, she did see the job posting for this, right? And I just, what I landed on was, rather than go with something that felt unnatural, I thought, okay, well, we're going to have a woman hero and she's going to be feminine and she would be more optimistic and kind of an idealist versus that kind of anti-hero or kind of reluctant hero character. And you were telling me all about your good grades and I thought, you know what? I had partners in the past that had the brawn, but they didn't have the brains. Well, I had the brains and you're surprised about how I ended up having the brawn when I took that typewriter that I brought with me and threw it at that bad guy and kind of killed him. <laughs> I know, it was my favorite adventure. Yeah, me too. And then it was just through, honestly, the course of the improvising with the scene partners that it further developed where like Valerie endowed her with a husband. And then in that scene with Ken, it was like, oh, you're off again. So then I started adopting this persona where she values her missions to the extent where she's sacrificing her personal life. So it became this idealistic, optimistic kind of character, even though, you know, she went through some dark turns <laughs> too. Now, Griffin, what other shows have you been in together? Well, the first show we were in together, I think was, was it Brothers Grimm? Yeah. Um, so we were in that one. That one was fun. Nikki was doing costume design. We were all wearing these kind of large pajamas that were tie-dyed in different colors. I, I love playing off of Griffin. And our last in-person one was the Miss yeah. Marple show. And so I played Miss Marple and you played the detective, the inspector, yeah. what was it, inspector detective or something? Detective Inspector Craddock. Yeah, that one, I should have mentioned that first because Alev was also the star of that show and I was kind of her sidekick. I loved Alev, your character in that show. You, you were having so much fun in that role and it was your fun was infectious. The accent was perfect and uh, oh, I could just tell that it that you loved that character. I liked Griffin, your role in that show as well. I love mysteries, especially Agatha Christie type mysteries. It was super fun to watch that one. So do you guys feel like you know each other pretty well? And the reason why, <laughs> the reason why I ask is because if I have this idea in mind, I haven't tried this before. Have you ever played two truths and a lie? Mm, yes. I know okay. it. Okay. So you'd say three things about yourself and two things are true and one thing is a lie. And your partner has to think, okay, which one is the lie? Then you just do a little five minute scene with that lie as a motivation 
or something that you work into a character? So what do you think? What the lie is and then jump off from there. It's just something fun and silly to do. Yeah. I'm willing to try it. Okay. So who wants to go first? Two truths. You can take a minute to think. How are you going to deliver it? Do you do truth, lie, truth? Do you do truth, truth, lie? Lie, truth, truth. Who wants to go first? Can I tell you, Sarah? I actually yes. have a pre-prepared one that I use for this game. <laughs> Griffin, that's not very improvisational. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm kidding. You could totally use it if you want. Okay. Um, then I will start. So number one, I once met Guy Fieri and I helped him to make a salad and distribute it to a crowd. I did not eat the salad though. Number two, I found out the other year that my, it's it like third, third cousin twice removed. I don't know how it works is the actor, Joseph Gordon Levitt. I never talked to him though. <laughs> and then the third one is that I once met now governor of California, Gavin Newsom at the mall where he was standing doing promotions next to a Nesquik booth. Like they're giving out bottles of Nesquik and he was just standing there. And so I got to meet him and drink some chocolate milk at the same time. Those are awesome. Okay. So Alev, pick one. Griffin, don't say until after the scene, which one is the lie. But Alev, you can pick one of Griffin's you think is the lie. And then you will use that in your scene as like character motivation or some somehow. Okay. I was just going to launch into it. That's why I went. <laughs> well, now we need two truths and a lie from you. Okay. So I have been scuba diving in Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt. And it was the most beautiful underwater sea life in coral I've ever seen. I have walked through a bat infested cave in Indonesia, wading through waist deep water. And I have hitchhiked my way through a foreign country. Okay. Griffin and Alev, do you think you know each other's lies? Got it? I, think. I just, I love how we both have themes for ours. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me when you're ready. And then I'll give you a location and you'll just do a quick couple minute scene and you can wrap it when you like. Do we, do you want us to say which ones we think now? Mm -mm. Oh, I I'm ready. Ready? Okay. okay. I'm ready. Okay. Location. Um, how about a beach? I cannot believe you made that man's salad. You know, he killed my dad. He didn't know it at the time, but he inadvertently poisoned my dad's cream of chowder soup and he died. You're my husband. You knew the story. How could you betray me like that and make Guy Fieri's salad? Angelique, I did make him a salad, but it's what I put in it that I think you're going to like. Tell me more. Well, I was listening to a podcast and I heard Guy Fieri is allergic to bats. Uh, I don't know how he found that out, but I put bats in the salad. Oh, that's brilliant. And you weren't caught. No, I'm not. Actually, um, if you dig into the sand right over there by that shovel, I think you'll find a surprise. Oh my God. It's bat 
soup. My favorite. But, you know, we're not supposed to admit that we eat bats anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's why isolated beach, no one around, we can eat all types of soup without judgment. So you here, do. I I have a bowl right here, gazpacho. <laughs> With the little bat ears. Oh, you, you do like love it. me. Cheers. Cheers. End scene. I love that. You guys did awesome. Now, Griffin, confess. Which one's the lie? Okay. I am not related to Joseph Gordon-Levitt as far oh. as... But I see the resemblance. That's why I picked it, actually, <laughs> is that people, I've gotten that if like, what celebrity do I look like? You kind of look like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So I was like, okay, maybe that's a believable lie. That was a good one. I should have seen through that one. Darn it. I love. I've never gone scuba diving, but I have walked through a bath infested cave waist deep in water in Indonesia. Whoa. <laughs> I hope you guys thought that was fun. It was fun. Can I admit, I a little bit picked the bat one, not because I didn't think it was true, but because I thought it sounded the most fun to improvise. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know which one was fake. So I was like, I'll just pick the most fun one and maybe I'll be lucky. <laughs> that is so great. Do you guys want to talk more about your truths? Those were awesome. Uh, yeah. Sure. I mean, you didn't eat the salad. That was the most amazing part of that one. Like I distributed it, but I didn't make it or eat it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, 13 year old me did not like salad and uh, I wasn't gonna eat it no matter who made it. And I mean, Guy Fieri, I don't think is known as the greatest salad maker in the world. So I'm sure it was good. I gave my serving to my mom. So she got two Guy Fieri salads. <laughs> I want to hear about the hitchhiking one, because at first I was like, you were really coy with that. You didn't offer that many details. Yeah, it was in, um, it was in Turkey. I was young, like 17 or something. Uh, I was with my sister and a friend and our friend was a local and we decided to go to the beach in a different city, well outside of where we were. We were headed toward the bus station and my friend was like, we should hitchhike. And we were kind of relying on her because, you know, she's a local. And um, we hitchhiked several times to get there. Was, these two young guys pick us up and they're like Mercedes and they're going really fast and trying to be really cool. And we got in an accident. Oh. <laughs> and like my sister, I, I was like, I think I have a concussion. <laughs> like it was not good. We swore we wouldn't do it again. But then on the way back, I don't even know how I went along with this, but we hitchhiked back as well. Well, I said, I'm like, we're not doing this again. I was really shaken up. I'm at the beach laying there, like really shaken up. And then I don't know. I'm glad you survived. <laughs> Thanks. I am too. too. I have to point out, Sarah, I think the things that Alev has done in real life and the adventure she has gone on um, actually dwarf what Joan Holiday did in the show. <laughs> she just brought that swagger to Joan Holiday. My full name is Joan Courage Holiday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Griffin, I'd like to hear about creative projects that you may have in mind or are working on now. Ah, uh, yes. Well, right now at Synergy, I'm directing a show called Soda Pop, which is set in a 1950s diner. 
Welcome to Soda Pop. I'm Hutchie Jones. I'm what some people might call a jerk. <laughs> a soda jerk, that is. And it's my fourth show that I've directed with Synergy. So I'm super excited about it. We're one show in out of four. And I play this character of Hutchie Jones. And I am also the one who's talking to the audience, the host. And I get to wear a silly costume with a little paper hat and this striped vest. Well, I do other things too. Why? I flip burgers, I make milkshakes, and I serve them all to the customers here at Soda Pop. Why, Soda Pop, it was just about the finest, most rootin'-tune diner there ever was back in the 1950s. So, I love it. I kind of just love opportunities to wear silly costumes. That's part of the fun of doing synergy shows, because not a lot of other improv shows let you wear costumes. I love, Griffin, how you've really embraced when Ken said to, to the company members, hey, I'd love, you know, with this online thing, it, it'd be great to have people come with concepts and produce a show and direct. And you've really embraced it. And each time it's just you, you've added extra things like you keep raising the bar. And Griffin is really a very smooth, harmonious director. Like it's just been really wonderful working with you. And if I have a question for you, it's where do you get the inspiration for the ideas? Because they're so specific. You know, mine has been like, oh, a documentary. But yours are so creative and specific. I suppose, well, going back, I always wanted to direct a show. And when we, when we were doing shows in person, Ken was the only director. And that was understood. And I wasn't trying to direct a show outside of his reach because we were only doing one show at a time. And Ken is a fabulous director, but I would pitch him ideas if you were looking for new shows. And before I would pitch him things <laughs> like I was like, we should do one based on the video game, The Oregon Trail. And he didn't even know what that was. And that didn't end up happening. But when we went online and Ken was like, hey, why don't you all direct some shows? I was like, I don't know how long this pandemic's going to last. I want to take this opportunity and direct some shows while I still can. And I really just based it on kind of things that were interesting me at the time. Like the first show I directed was Intergalactic <laughs> Support Group. I had recently started watching Star Trek for the first time. And I was thinking like, oh yeah, we should do another space show. We had done one, but this was more about isolation, which could connect to the pandemic. The year is 2200 AD. Corporations run colonies all across the galaxy, bleeding planets dry for resources. Human beings are nothing but corporate drones destined to slave away until we drop dead. Tired of these soul-sucking conditions, I chose to do something about it. I sent a call out to the cosmos to form a secret group of people just looking to express themselves, knowing full well that the consequences of being caught could mean death. These are the recordings of those meetings that brought hope back to my life. This is our intergalactic support group. I've got to go. I'm so glad you brought that one up griffin if i may interject that intergalactic support group has such a blade runner feel to it and blade runner is one of my favorite movies and uh, i really enjoyed watching 
that one. And again, the, the backgrounds and the costumes for that one were very transporting and made, made me feel watching like it was, it was all very real, but in the future. Oh, it was fun. And then I have to admit for adventure serial, as much as I want to be like, oh yes, the 1930s and serialized shows. It was like the pandemic. And I was like, let me just rewatch all the Indiana Jones movies. I was like, oh, that could be a show. That was a great question, Alev. Hey, Griffin, I have a story for you. Oh. It may have been at the Miss Marple show, but I was in the audience. It was in the lecture in the Vukasan Theater, and I had a seat down toward the front. And I'm sitting there and just enjoying the ambiance and the people and the energy. And I can't wait to see you guys come out. And then the, the lights go down and there's this really nice looking woman who is sitting in front of me, a couple rows on the end, and she has a video camera. And as the lights go down, she brings the video camera up and she starts filming the stage before you guys come out. Like, like in an instant, someone who worked at the Lesher came out of nowhere and made a beeline for this nice looking woman. And crouched down right down next to her and was like whispering at her and being very and I could see that they're gesturing it's like absolutely not no cameras absolutely not and then very nice woman is trying to explain no it's fine really it's well oh okay so then she put it underneath the chair but then a couple minutes later I could tell that it just was not sitting well with her and so she got up and she went out and then came back and then everything seemed to be fine from there. And I think that was your mom, Griffin. Oh, 100%. <laughs> am, I, am I mistaken? No. Okay, good. <laughs> um, my mom, when we were doing in person, would film every show just for herself. Uh, no one asked her to. And she would sit there. She came to every show by the, we were doing eight shows and she would come to all of them and film them. And I was, it was so amazing that I had that support from her. I think she genuinely loved it. But to go back and be able to watch the shows after the fact was a thing to me that I love. Maybe it's a little bit of vanity. And other times it's like nostalgia of revisiting those fun moments. Um, but yeah, that was my mom. I really um, enjoyed being a witness to that because I could just see that she had every good intention in her heart and was just your biggest fan sitting there. I was like, that's gotta be his mom. I'm sure it's his mom. So that's interesting because now you guys can watch the shows because you have created this digital library, but it's not the same as in person. It's not. And I think Ken purposely never filmed the shows before. He had filmed a few things, but I don't think he would say he didn't like watching himself. But I think I, I like to watch myself and maybe do some critique like I'm a football coach or something. And I'd be like, uh, look at that. That's what you did wrong. Improve next time. Not be super critical. And then also, again, it is nice to remember a time when we would do shows and there was an audience that would laugh whenever we were funny or do any sort of reaction as opposed to if we're doing an online show, we're just sitting in a quiet room with no reaction to anything we do. Yeah. You will be in front of an audience again. It's going to happen. And soon. And I'll be there in the audience and maybe I'll sit next to Griffin's mom. 
or close by. <laughs> and I'll tell the lesser person that's all fine. Is there anything else that you guys want to say? If there are places that you would like people to go to find you or find more of your work, if you would like to be contacted, what's that information? Alev, will you go first? I'm the least online person. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have a Twitter, so I don't have anything. Okay. <laughs> and Griffin? Yeah. Um, so of course, watch Synergy Theater on YouTube or Facebook. I'm also currently doing a show that is, it airs on Sundays at noon. It's kind of an odd time, but there's a cast from all around the world. So that was the time that worked for everyone. It's called Duluth and it's on the World Improv Network YouTube channel. Oh, so I'm so glad you said that. that. Yeah, very cool. And you ha are playing a character or you're directing or what? what's your role there? Yeah, I play a character named Ryan Larson. And he lives in this town, Duluth, Minnesota. And uh, yeah, watch it. If you want to watch those uh, old videos of us doing shows in person, I have posted them on my channel, which is Griffin Davis Beer at YouTube. And also, I want to say before we cut off that I really hope to work with you again, Alev. It was such a fun experience. The last time I got to see you in person, we did do one like distanced uh, picnic, I think, once with the Synergy cast. Yeah. But Doing a show, we did Miss Marple, and I really think we had a great, fun send-off to those characters, but I, mm -hmm. I'd love to work with you again in person if we get the opportunity. Definitely. The in-person shows, I feel the same way, and I can't wait to get back on the stage. Alev, Griffin, thank you so much, and I can't wait to see you both perform in, in person. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for having us. Stay safe. Don't hitchhike. <laughs> and that's our show. If you think improv sounds like fun, it is. If you think you'd like to try improv, it's easy. Just go to SynergyTheater.com and click on School of Improv. Synergy Theater offers beginner, advanced, and master classes. Synergy Theater is also on Facebook. Please rate, review, and follow this podcast. Your support makes a difference. Synergy Theater is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit that depends on the participation of current and future star supporters and improvisers like you. Thank you.